Your network is your net worth. Hello, Ukramedia family. Vladimir Proknevsky here, and welcome to episode number four of the Ukramedia podcast, where I serve our Ukramedia family with interviews from highly creative people every Tuesday and Thursday. Now, today's guest is my friend, Dan Beltran. Dan is a multidisciplinary creative with over five years of experience in professional sports and brand development. He collaborated with clients such as Hyperloop One, Portland Trailblazers, Seattle Sounders FC, Major League Soccer, Nike, and Adidas. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Dan, now last I talked to you, you were working full-time for Seattle Sounders FC, which is a great call, by the way. One of the best in MLS. I love their branding. They were just in the MLS final last year, but sadly they lost to Toronto FC. Sorry about that. Now, I understand that you're no longer with the club. You stepped out into the world of freelance. Now, how scary was it leaving a full-time job with all the benefits and starting a company of your own? Oh, man. <laughs> it definitely is a leap, you know, and something that you have to sort of follow your heart and do. And I would go and explain this concept of saying, hey, I have all of these benefits. I have a job. I have money coming in every two weeks. You know, I get all the perks of working for this club and it's amazing. And yet I still want to leave and, and do my own thing. And I feel this call, this drive to pursue my own endeavor. And it was extremely scary because on paper, it's one of the craziest things that you could possibly do. Mm, definitely. What about, did anyone try to talk you out of it? I mean, <laughs> yeah, there, I, not directly. There were no sit down conversations about, all right, this is a dumb idea, you know, because I think that everybody believes in what I wanted to accomplish. And so they were all very supportive of my decision to leave. And I think the convincing to stay came in the form of jokes and, and sort of little jests and, and nods. Oh, you don't have to leave, you know, kind of thing. And I ended up actually staying a month longer than I, I was initially planning because they wanted me to help out a little bit. And so that sort of helped to bridge the gap between my absence. Mm -hmm. Now, what have you learned so far while freelancing on your own? <laughs> it's a lot different than you would anticipate. And it's a challenge. It's equally rewarding, but it's definitely a challenge in the sense that I found in an in-house role, I would be working for eight hours, but I wouldn't necessarily be working for the full eight hours, right? And so I, I would spend my time at a role, but there would be different things that would take up my day. I would have conversations. I would spend time eating lunch, etc. However, I've found so far with freelancing that I spend less time working, but the, the time that I do spend working is infinitely more focused and driven than the time I would have spent in an in-house role. And on that same sort of thread, I find that I, I got used to pay every two weeks, which is sort of, it, it's something that I had ingrained in my mind since when I began working. And then you find that when you freelance, the payment is few and far between, but the size increases. You have to reconnect your brain to say, okay, I'm all right with not getting paid every two weeks. That used to be the standard that I held myself to. I should be getting money. I should have something every week. I should have something every week kind of thing. But you realize quickly that it doesn't matter how often you get clients as long as the sum or the, the bulk of the payment is equaling what you theoretically would be making elsewise. Now, how important is networking now for you since you really don't have a consistent client? <sighs> Huge, huge. Yeah, it's it's big because I find that when you go freelance, you suddenly are wearing 50 different hats. 
right? So in my previous role, I'm a designer and that's what I do. I design. When you freelance, you're a small business owner. You have to file your taxes. You have to do your accounting. You have to make sure that you're doing your client upkeep. You know, you're having conversations with people who you want to work with in the future. And it's this huge cauldron of tasks and jobs that I had never fully appreciated up until the point when I actually made the jump to go freelance. And so I find myself, as I mentioned, just wearing a billion different hats. Mm. What was the most challenging thing so far that you have to deal with while freelancing? I think it's coming to the realization that if you're not marketing yourself alongside your biz- your your work, your design that you're doing, you're not going to bring in new business because that in and of itself is the key to being successful as a freelancer is the ability to market yourself. And I think that people don't realize that they could be the best designer in the entire world. They could be the best motion graphics. They could be the best podcaster, you know, whatever it is that they're doing. But if they're not telling the world about what they're doing and showing the world, the product that they're putting out, nobody would know. It's like that. uh, I always bring up this quote by, I think Muhammad Ali said that if I don't tell them I'm the greatest, how are they going to know? Right? Yeah. You have to be your best advocate and you have to empower people to believe in the brand of you or else you're going to be up shit Creek without a paddle and have no means of generating any type of income. Yeah. What do you go to find clients? What do you network? Sure. So it's a little bit unconventional the way that I do it in the sense that the way that I envision networking is not necessarily schmoozing at these events and shaking hands, etc. I think that's a part of networking. But I think that the core of what it means to be a networker is to have your T's crossed and your, your I's dotted and all of your stuff ready to go. So then that way, when you do meet the individual who could potentially line you up with a role or a client or whatever it might be, you're the obvious choice amongst the competition that's in front of you, right? And so for me, the way that I view networking is constantly constantly refining my craft, putting out projects into the world, you know, learning how to become a better designer for myself. So then that way, once I do end up meeting that person, it's they're like, yeah, this is the guy go for it. You know, because if I spend 99% of my days going to events, shaking hands, meeting people, but I don't have the work to back up the talk that I'm talking, what's the point, right? How about when you do find that client? How do you price your work? Sure. So pricing for me is a very intimate concept and I do so. So what I typically try to do with a client is figure out what their budget is and and go for that. You know, I think that if you're giving an hourly rate, you're probably skimping yourself out of pay, right? And I think that there is value in going for a budget on a project because then you're able to rise to the budget of whatever whatever it is that the client would need from you, right? So for instance, when I have clients come in, the first thing I say is, what are you trying to accomplish? What would make this project a success? And what is your budget? And how can we work towards getting you deliverables that you feel would be within the range of your budget? So uh, once I get a sense of that number, if I can get a sense of that number, I will give them a good, better, best variation to say, hey, this is what we can do bare minimum if you need to get this covered. This is what we can do a little bit above that. And then if you want, excuse me, pull out all the stops, let's go for this sort of thing. And I think that what it comes down to is how well you can translate the money that they're willing to spend on the project to the value that you can provide. Do you enjoy that process? I love it. I do. I I love communicating. I love having conversations with people. I love, it's sort of a courting act to me in a way, you know, it reminds me of these nature discovery channel, sort of birds flying around kind of thing. It really is something to me that's, I don't want it, spiritual would be an overhyped statement, but it's something to me where it's kind of sacred, you know, and, and it's, it represents to me the best of people in the sense that it's two minds coming together to try and solve the issues or the needs that each has. And it's, it's very personal and it's very 
relational and, and the objective is to have both parties coming out saying, all right, that wasn't too bad. Let's go for it. You know? And, and I think that that to me is what the beauty of client negotiations represents. See, I think that's why I think that freelance is not for everybody because of that, because not, not everybody's good at negotiating. Not everybody's good at communicating their work or with clients. Some designers are amazing, but they just, they, they do want to have a nine to five job and they want sure. a consistent paycheck. And I think if they're happy with that, then more power to them. Right. What, what are your thoughts on that? I think that what I've had it come down to is is a lot of people I see who are pricing their projects or having communications with clients build up the clients to be something bigger than they actually are, right? And they, they have this whole thought in their mind that they're this big monolithic entity with no feelings who's out to scam you for every cent that you got and take up all of your time. But the fact of the matter is every person behind every Skype call or every every phone communication you have is just a person who who has been told or wants to accomplish an outcome. It's up to them to go search out a designer who they think is going to be competent and skilled enough to, to help them achieve that outcome. So there's no reason why you can't have a simple conversation about money, which is something that people always seem to stray away from and just get super anxious and nervous over. But a lot of the times you'll find that clients are willing to pay you what you ask for if it means that they're going to get what they need. Oh, that's, that's well said, man. How do you bill your clients? Is there a system or formula you follow or online resource that you can recommend? Sure. Yeah. I actually use an online resource that was referred to me by a friend called Invoice Home. And it's this really awesome resource where you have essentially all of your clients. It saves your clients as like itemized entities that you can just drag and drop essentially into a estimate or invoice or any type of document that you might need. You have all of the itemized line items that I go through and put in price total, and then it keeps track of who's paid, who hasn't paid, when the invoices do. And that to me has been extremely helpful. And then in terms of receiving payment, I will go wire transfer most of the time. Sometimes I elect to go PayPal or check if it's easier for the client, whatever it is that they feel comfortable with. Do you Have you experienced any problems with clients not paying you on time? Yes and no, because on time is relevant for the way that I set up my business. I like to say, okay, before I begin any work, I want half deposit up front. So then that way you have skin in the game, right? And that half is not going to be refundable if you decide to back out of the project. So they have to know that they're getting into something that's going to sting them a little bit if they decide to back out. And at the end of it all, I don't provide final files until the payment has been received. It's a little bit of a safeguard for myself. I have been burned in the past and I have had clients when I was just starting out that said, oh, we're good for it, you know, just kind of get this done and we'd love to see some samples and then you never hear from them ever again and, and that stings. And so as a result, I just sort of naturally found a way to figure out a solution that I thought would meet everybody's needs. Now, since you have all these different clients and you're no longer in a nine to five environment, how do you manage your time? Yeah. Well, when I wake up, I start designing. And then when I go to sleep, I stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think what it comes down to for me, I, I've never been a by the book sort of individual. I'm very much emotional. I, I feel out a lot of the, the work and the things that I do in my daily life. And so I know a lot of people who will say, all right, 8 to 8.30 a.m., I drink my coffee. 8.30 to 9, I read the news. 9 o'clock on the dot, I begin work. I do two and a half hours of this subject. And then at 10.30, I move on to whatever, you know, and I'm not like that. I just sort of have this general overview. I keep all of my clients written down, this little tiny notebook guy right there. Nice. I, I estimate how much time it's going to take to complete what it is I need to get done. 
I have the client name, the task at hand, and I just sort of have that with me at all times and look over it and just sort of get a general feel for what I want to accomplish for the day and go through it. Are there any guidelines, rules that you absolutely have to follow in order to have that perfect day? I drink a ton of coffee. <laughs> I drink I drink a lot of coffee. Um, <laughs> but honestly, one of the rules that I've found to be the most beneficial for me in my career is it's what I like to call ABC. And it stands as an acronym for always be creating. So regardless of if the, the project is paid or not, if I have a gap in time where there's no clients that are you know calling on my work, if it's a week or a couple of days, I still try to put something out. So then that way I stay fresh and I stay on top of my game. And I, I always want to feel that I'm contributing in some way towards the ultimate goal of being the best option for my clients. Do you go through a process of picking and choosing your clients? Are you trying to kind of uh, go after certain clients that want to stay within your sports niche or you don't really, you're open to all of them, I guess? Sure. There's a lot of factors that, that go into the way that I select my clients. I do turn down clients based on a number of things. So for instance, if they come up with any red flags out the gate, oh, we don't quite have a budget yet, which isn't like a deal breaker. That could be fine. You might not know your budget, but sometimes you get clients who don't really have a sense of the direction that they want to go and they expect you to just whip something up and have it be this perfect magic unicorn that fixes all of their, <laughs> their needs, right? And so yeah. I find out the gate that those projects tend to run over time. They tend to go over budget. They take up a lot of my time. So I try to be sure with anybody who approaches me that I've got the full scope of the projects fleshed out from the get-go. That way there's no surprises. There's always surprises, but I like to think that there's not going to be any surprises if we get the scope lined out from, from the beginning, right? And so definitely having those types of conversations from the beginning helps. And ha having an open, clear line of communication is something that I can't stress enough for clients and for people that I work with, because as long as you've got your expectations lined up, and, and everybody understands and everybody's in the same page in the same book in the same chapter in the same library, it's going to be all right. Are there any online platforms that you use for project management that you can share with your clients? Like Asana or I don't know what some other ones. Sure. Yeah. Like Basecamp or yeah, Basecamp Zen, Zendesk or whatever. No, I don't use any of those actually. I good old fashioned email communication is my go-to. <laughs> and then I use Envision, Envision app. They have the mood boarding sort of, feature that they offer. And I take my clients to it and say, Hey, here's what you requested. Here's what I'm thinking of doing. These are some mood board images of work that I think that we would benefit from using for the design or logo or whatever it is. And then they say, yeah, that's great. Sign off. We check in every couple of days, couple of weeks, however long the project scope is going for, and then hunky dory. What are some tips, tricks that simplify your workflow, I guess, that others can benefit from? I would say at a core level, in terms of working in the software, know all the hotkeys you can possibly know. That saves me so much time. I am Lightning McQueen on the keys <laughs> nice. when it comes to design because I, when I began, forced myself to say, all right, I have to be the most efficient, the quickest, and the most effective in the work that I'm doing. So how can I do that? And then hotkeys seem to be the best route for me to go. Also, I use a lot of mock-up software because I don't necessarily have the bandwidth or the time to be able to go and take pictures of all of the product that I'm putting out for my clients. And so I, I have a lot of assets that I've gotten over time that help me frame the work that I do. And it generally helps them feel more comfortable with the product that I'm putting out. Other than that, essentially, it's just about having the most tools at your disposal to be able to help give the client 
what they need. Do you follow any uh, YouTubers or maybe some kind of Linda courses or anything like that? That What do you do, I guess, to stay current in your field? There's this great resource online that I found called Euchre Media. And I really There like- you go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Aside from that, no. So I, I do run a design page on Facebook, which intentionally or not ends up providing a lot of the trends that people see just because of the pure amount of people that are in the group. And so they are the ones who provide inspiration and I see the work that they're putting out and it's incredible, right? And that would maybe take me to Behance and then I'm scrolling on Behance for three hours just looking at projects and seeing who's liked what and appreciated this and yada, yada, yada. And so um, I, I would say I do follow as many YouTube tutorials as I can. I always try and go find the hardest, most difficult theories and design structures that I can find just because you pick up a lot of stuff from the guys who've been in the industry for 15, 20 years. And you you pick up a lot of the hotkeys, you pick up a lot of shortcuts and recommendations from that. So what's something that you're the most excited about today? Man, well, it's not raining. So that's a plus. (laughs) In (laughs) Seattle, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'm currently working with Stanford on a UX, UI, art direction project. Yeah, I'm really excited for that. That's something that's in the pipeline. And then got a couple of branding projects that I just love to do day in, day out. And I really just get excited for the unknown. You know, I get excited for whatever the day's got to throw at me. I enjoy the task of reaching out to people and and marketing myself and, and getting to know who's out there and who needs what. So... That's what I like about the freelance world. It's like when your back is against the wall, magic happens, man. Because it kind of forces you to step out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And once you're outside of your comfort zone, man, that's where all the magic happens. I'll give you a great example. Last week I was in Baltimore. I am part of this uh, organization, Operation Christmas Child. I received a shoebox when I was a kid. Anyway, so I do a little bit of speaking and I was on the main stage, uh, nervous, a nervous wreck. And, you know, and I totally messed up like halfway through. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things when you get up and your presentation sits right down, you know, it was like a seven minute speech and I had to memorize it word for word and I plugged something in that wasn't part of the script and it totally just threw me off like I didn't know where I was (laughs) oh man I mean I recovered but it kind of reminded me of of a freelance world like it's uh it's scary you come out there but you will never know what you're capable of doing unless you step out like I didn't know I was able to recover until I was in that situation you know what I was able to recover and that's kind of how I feel about the freelance world it's like every day you just never know this I hated this whole nine to five you go and this same schedule same meeting meetings about meetings, you know? Yeah. But that's, that's why it's so exciting to me. I agree. And I, I think that to, to go off of that point, the main difference for me about freelancing versus being in an in-house role is that in an in-house role, your boss or your team sets the objectives and they set the mile markers and they set the key performance indicators and whatnot. But when you're freelancing, it's all on you. If you're not getting good clients, it's on you. If you're not communicating well, it's on you. If you don't feel like you're progressing in your career, it's on you. And I think that that ownership really is the essence of what makes freelance so beautiful. Because if you fail, it's on you. If you learn, it's on you. It's it's all just on your shoulders. And it forces you to stay current. Like I don't know how many times I worked at different organizations and people that have been there the longest, man, they're so stale. They, they, yeah. They're just kind of 
they're just taking up space, man. They they're not learning anything. They're and I've met people that are freelance in the freelance world. I've met people in their sixties. They're so current with motion graphics, with mm-hmm. design. They're more current than the young folks coming in, you know. Yeah, and to be. that's what I like about freelance. Yep, it keeps you sharp. It keeps you on your toes. Keeps your uh, finger on the pulse, so to speak. You're always learning. Could not agree more. And that's the student mentality is the most important part. You know, you you can never the minute that you feel like you've reached the top or you've gotten to where you want to be, that's exactly when you're at your rock bottom, you know, because if you feel that your learning is over or you feel that there's nothing left to learn, what's the point? You know what else I like? I've been on my own, so I stepped out. You stepped out before me. I stepped out like a couple weeks ago. (laughs) My sleep, man, I'm able to actually rest and get a full night of sleep because I have two kids and they keep us up at night, but now I can work around that schedule. And it's amazing when you're not sleep deprived, you come up with beauties. I mean, all of a sudden ideas come to you. I was kind of a little bit borderline depressed because it's like you always sleep deprived and you (laughs) feel like you're deteriorating, like you're destroying yourself and you know like, oh my gosh, I got a pain in my lower back now. What's going on? (laughs) Anyway, so I feel like I got my health back. Clarity just came in. I, I find myself orchestrating my day around when there's going to be the least amount of traffic to do anything. So I'll I'll say, all right, I'm going to go to the grocery store at two o'clock because I know (laughs) nobody's going to be there, you know, and and why would I go at five? I used to have to go at six when all the traffic was happening, but now it's the luxury of choice is the most beautiful thing ever. You know, it's funny. I completely forgot about traffic because I think it took me like four hours from the time I got up, but by the time I got to the office, just, just getting ready, (sighs) traffic and everything. And I got up a little earlier. No way. Isn't that crazy? And yesterday, Sergey was invited to speak. I think it was called Cave Mode, uh, <clears throat> the Art Institute of Charlotte, North Carolina. Anyway, and so we we had to leave the house like 4.30 p.m. And we were both driving like, wow, there's traffic. <laughs> oh, it's man. true. It's true. It's something that you don't realize is gone until you have it again. Well, hey, Dan, thank you so much for your time. Now, how can people get in touch with you? You can find me at my website, designwithdan.com. Uh, I also am an admin of a Facebook group page called the Designers League. Highly recommend you check it out. It's essentially where that group that I was mentioning earlier, we've got 12,000, 13,000 plus creatives interfacing on a daily basis about any given scenario that could occur in the freelance life or or just design in general. We've got a lot of students, not motion heavy, so I don't think I'm necessarily poaching on the same audience, but definitely a great resource to reach me at. Well, it's crazy. I remember when you guys only had well, not only, but you had you not that long ago. You had ten thousand. Now yeah. you have twelve thousand. It's you guys are growing fast. It is wow. And you're part of the Ukrimedia community. You're, I guess, that's why you're you're such a successful freelancer because you're part of so many different communities, man. Your network is your net worth. I'm just gonna throw that out there. It's true. There you go. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. Appreciate your time. All right, Ukrimedia family. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dan Beltran. Make sure to check out Dan's work at designwithdan.com. All the links and resources mentioned in this episode are available on our website at ukremedia.com slash four. If you'd like to be a guest on our show, you can apply at ukremedia.com slash apply. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you and I look forward to serving you in the next episode of the Ukremedia podcast. Bye-bye.